Hi, Book Club members. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crack. This is episode number 87. 87. And our book is Void King by Mark Collins. Insert physical copy that I did not get here. Um, this book is about rogue traders tasked by Rabute Gulliman. Can you tell I listened to the audiobook? To well, find if you did, they would have said Gilliman. Oh, that one's... Mm, that's a good point. But the Rabute, I, I just I can't get past... Like, they say Rabute, and I tune out. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> As they try to find new paths through the rift into Imperium Nihilus. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via YouTube, site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning. If you have not yet read this book... <laughs> Go to the site, check out the book, and then come back to this episode as we're going to be discussing it from start to finish in great detail. And we definitely don't want to taint anyone's opinion. <laughs> Let's dive in. Carrie, did you enjoy the book? Hmm. No, sir. I didn't like it. I cannot remember a time that I struggled so hard with a book. Um, I don't Devastation know about you. Hmm? Devastation a ball. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's a good call. I, I had a similarly hard time getting into this book. Um, God, it took me forever. And I was listening to it in an audiobook, you guys, on flights where I had literally nothing else to do. This is a tough one. Yep. Yeah. Let's um let's let's start on a positive note here and uh what part stood out to you? Uh for good. Well, um didn't try to change lore, so that's always a big plus in my book. Um True. It, it did have a uh, one line that I really, really enjoyed, and it was by uh Nostraya. Nostraya, I don't know how they said it in the audiobook. When they when um they're about to put in their evil plan, and they said, but there is no evil in business. I got a good chuckle out of that. That was a good one. There was one rumination scene from Erastus where he was like, um, he was thinking back to his sister and his father, and him kind of, his father kind of grooming his sister to be the next heir, right? And he talked about how much how very similar his sister was becoming to his father. And he mentioned, he said something about how he saw the light go out in her the more she became like their father. And I did, I did find that very interesting. Um, I think as parents, sometimes we have that desire to make our children like us. Right. Mm. And, um, there was, um, I cannot think of where that quote comes from, but there's that famous quote about rebellion in your children that if you ever squash all of it out, you're left with a broken person. Um, I liked it. it. It was a nice, the way that he worded it. I was like, oh, that is a nice, that's actually a nice familial note, which I was not very emotionally invested in the whole father, sister, I, I'm not good enough portion of it. So that grabbed me. I liked that. Mm-hmm. I did like the no evil in business too. Yeah. Um, yep. That can't be it. Um, I thought Astrid was cool. 
I have some stuff to say about her, too. Even though I kept hearing her voice, um, it's done by America Ferreira. So that all I pictured was Astrid from How to Train Your Dragon. Mm-hmm. That was, which is actually pretty fitting when you think about it. Uh, yeah, because and there that are Astrid definitely was, worse people. That, that Astrid was also a badass. Mm-hmm. So, and um, it's funny that you say that because that's the same thing that I was basically picturing. Um, and America Ferreira actually has like a really good voice work voice. Mm-hmm. She has a very distinctive female voice. Um. Let's dive in. Um, let's let's start with our characters here. Our two main-ish characters were Astrid and Erastus. Were you emotionally invested in either of them? Did you like them? Did you like their arcs? Um, I was emotionally invested in them in that I was really hoping that Astrid and her mother weren't going to betray him too. That was about the extent of it. Because I really honestly felt like her path was set. Like there, there was, there was no growth in her character. She was like, was I'm trying to think if there was like really that much growth in any of the characters. I mean, I guess the kind of Erastus, you know, when he was like, okay, I guess I can do this type thing. Um, but to me, that was like it's so trite. Like, you know, I was thinking about this last night after I finished it. I almost wonder if this would have been a better book for, like, the young adult series. Because this kind of a coming-of-age story, I think, would fit better for young adults than anything else. Uh, You know, now that you say that, I would tend to agree with you. Um, I... It reminded me very much of, like, a JRPG or an anime where... And I understand that our Astrid and Erastus were adult adults, but they had that very teenager feel to them. Mm. And this idea that they need to, essentially, both of them were retiring the old guard, right? Because Davos dies, Katla dies, and then Astrid and Erastus are now going to take their dynasties into the future. Um okay but very similar to jrpgs um it it sometimes works like in hollywood in established properties i think specifically of like batman beyond right we we all we knew bruce wayne we knew Mm -hmm. batman to watch terry come into this right into this role like oh okay like this is the passing of a torch and this is symbolic it's difficult when you don't really know like we didn't know davos alas we knew you not well enough um, I mean, he's he, he's killed within the first 10 chapters, right? And even though we get to know Catla a little bit better, they they definitely, and we'll talk more about this later, but I there's, there's a scene. I disagree that we know Catla at all. I don't think we really do. We know, I said we know her a little wolf. better. She's a space wolf that's a rogue trader. Very much so. They were very much wolves. Um, I didn't really like what I saw when they were on... Um, Oh my gosh, the name of the... When they're storming that fortress. Endemica? The name, the or the other Endemica. one, uh, Nubaton? Yes, that Nubaton. I wanted to say, like, Lubaton, but that's a shoe. Um, thank you, darling. Delivery tea service hmm. in the middle of our podcast. Um, um, 
I didn't like what we saw of her. This big, strong wolf who strides in and just, you know, ah, we're everywhere here. And, uh, you know, like when she, I loved the scene when she's talking with Erastus and she's like, oh, no, no. If I'm challenging your dynasty, can you tell them? If I'm challenging your rule, it will be in the open and there will be an audience. I loved that. I loved mm-hmm. how very just like in... But then we get to see this slightly, a different side of her in that, right? And I didn't really like what I saw there. I didn't really like what they did with her character. So, like, my whole point of this kind of rambling thing is that by the time she dies even, and they're like, okay, Astrid's taking over. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I'm not emotionally invested in either of these adults. So it just, it reminded me, I think you're 100% right. If they would have retooled this to young adult, I would have been like, okay, that kind of makes sense, I guess. I mean, especially since, like, like I said, there is there is no no lore changing. Um, there's a whole. I mean, oh my god, I like Mark Collins stuff, so this is like hard. But I felt it's like really there was a whole lot of not happening. Erastus spent a very long time ruminating on the fact that his he was never good enough for his father, and that he was not his sister. A lot of page time. We we got it. Which I guess maybe that maybe that would land better with a young adult audience too. I think right? so. This like whole... so, you know, you think about, you know, um, like if I think about like those books that like really spoke to me when I was like a teenager, it was always those stories that were about like nobody understands me. You know, because that's how every teenager feels. That's it's just that's called being a teenager. I so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told this story on the podcast. Um, so when Linkin Park first came out back like in the late 90s, early aughts, I was pretty into Link. that first album, Hybrid Theory, right? Everybody, I think, was really into it, right? Um, really liked it. Thought it was really good. And then I learned that all the members of the band were like in their early to mid-20s. Some of them were older. And I suddenly really didn't like them anymore because I was like, you're grown adults. And you're screaming into a mic about how your parents don't understand? They knew their audience, man. I mean. They knew their audience. Yes. Very much knew their audience. But I was like, huh. So that is a thing. And no judgment. I understand we all have baggage with our parents, right? That's called being a human being. Um, But I, I do. I always find it very distasteful when adult characters spend that much time. Oh, my parents don't understand me. My parents never liked me. I was never good enough. Okay. I got it. I wasn't even sure he was an adult because I kept calling him the boy king. Like, I now, I know that, you know, we've used that. We've called people that, you know, because we don't like them or, or mm-hmm. whatever. But they really made it seem like he was still, like, maybe just 18. Right. Like, he was very, which, again, kind of adds to that JRPG anime young right. adult feel, right, of I'm 17, but I'm the world's greatest detective. Like you're 17, you you've never even paid your taxes yet. So, like, what life experience do you have? No, I would agree with that. That's actually a really good framing for this. I really like your JRPG example because, like, yeah, that's true. Because they're like anywhere between 16 and 19, and the whole world's against them, and it's just them versus the world, and they're ragabond, you know, vagabond, ragtag, the bad adults who are doing bad things. Yes. It's up to yeah. us to save the world. It's up to the children. 
And, um, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I could not get invested in either of them because Astrid, I felt like, was, as you mentioned, you, you nailed it. She was very, she started off the book very confident. Um, I guess kind of like Astrid from How to Train Your Dragon, which kind of makes sense because she was, because that Astrid was not a main character. She was a supporting character. And she kind of was, the, she was the rock for Hiccup, right? Mm -hmm. This constant presence in his life. Um, well, in the much same way that Astrid was kind of like the, his rock, like, you know, she was, she stayed with him and was training him and everything. And part of it was because her mother said, you need to watch him. But other part, like she mm -hmm. was, you know, a little, she became a little invested. But unlike How to Train Your Dragon Astrid, this Astrid didn't change. She didn't grow. You know, mm -hmm. How to Train Your Dragon Astrid suddenly saw a different side of Hiccup and then learned, you know, she learned a valuable lesson that day about dragons. You know, and, and understood like really more what they need to what they need to be doing. This one, the plot stayed. Yeah, I mean, constant. No, um, no real growth. No real change. No yeah, real I think, insight. Honestly, so you know, one thing we talked about with um, Shroud of Night. One thing that we both really liked with Shroud of Night was that it was just so action packed and it was just like, what shit are they going to throw in here next? But it was fun. And I almost feel like this book tried to do that, but it didn't do it well. And it really, so his father's killed. Okay. But we're going to go anyway. We got betrayed. Okay. It kind of made me a kid like, and then this happened. And then this happened. And then this happened. And then, whoa, no, my gosh, Nids. I would have taken anything over the Nids. I can't even talk about the Gene Steeler portion of it yet. I just, I just. So here's my quick little rant on this. I have decided, and please bear with me for one hot second. Um, I have decided that the Tyranids are officially the Nazis of the Warhammer 40k universe. And I will explain what I mean there. Yes, I have broken God's wins rule. Let me explain what I mean. Um, a lot of times when we watch movies... Uh, we, when we consume that type of like books, movies, video games, cartoons, whatever, um, the Nazis get trotted out a lot. And the reason for it is that no matter, as, as a plot device, no matter what your hero does to them, there's no questioning it, right? Like there's no other side, there's no motivation, you don't need to know it, they're just Nazis. And a lot of times they get trotted out and it just doesn't quite make sense for them. Like you're watching a movie and all of a sudden they're like, yes! We're in the Congo in 1895. Nazis. Like, whoa, guys, what? Um, I cannot think of the movie. There is legit a movie that I cannot think of right now. It takes place. Oh, God, it came out like in the early aughts. It takes place. I think it's in Malaysia, but it's like in 1975. And sure as shit, Nazis. Why? Why not? Um, it just, it, they make no sense. And I, I'm starting to feel like the Nids are that way too, because like, We'll talk more about this when we talk about Radraxis, but I feel like there really was like a good opportunity here. You could have gone, yes, a well-trodden path of like having Radraxis basically be like, hey, I never liked your dad. I never liked your rule. This is my time. I'm not giving up rulership. I'm not following some kid. It's my turn to be the king of this little concord that we have. I'm taking over. Curse my sudden but inevitable betrayal, right? Like, you could have done that, but when you throw the nids in there, then all of a sudden it's like, guess what? I'm going to explain anything. They're gene stealers. 
Um, and it really doesn't make a lot of sense for the genes. So sometimes they pop up and it's always this dramatic reveal, right? Just like it generally is with the Nazis in movies too, right? Where all of a sudden it's like, and there was the swastika upon them. Um, like, it, there's no explanation. You really don't have to go into anything. It just, it's a cheap villain. And it doesn't always make sense when they reveal it. They're like, and now we were gene stealers. What? Why? How? Why? Nope, don't got to explain any of that. They're just nids. No, a small, small part of me. So, um, thank you for coming to my TED talk. You know, I had a, I wasn't sure what was like in the bowels of the ship when that chick showed him like we see this thing i wasn't sure exactly what it was but i was like oh, please let, please not make that what i think it is and then i roll i was like no and then when rad rexus's crew they took off their masks and they're talking about how their faces were hideous and i was like can this please be a zinch cult like please my my first, I, so I had a very similar reaction. It was when Maximilian was tearing through that bastion. And um, they talk about how his armor was pure white with purple trim. And he's like, there's no pleasure in this killing. And th they had mentioned that all of his guys around him were kind of just minions. Right? And I was like, oh god, please let this be a slanish cult. Please let them be slanishy. Please don't let this be the chance. Especially because... How many times did they mention Rad Rex? So, okay, here's here, here's a trope that I love, and they started with it. Rad Rexus, this very foppish, very arrogant, very frivolous-looking man, right? They hinted that no, nah, that's more of a that's more of a facade, right? Because you don't get to be a rogue trader being that way, right? Okay, cool. I love I always love that trope when it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I I just play the fool. I'm not. Um. And then they started mentioning how, like, he focused in on it, like a reptile. It's very reptilian. Like, like on the fourth or fifth time they described him as reptilian, I was like, oh. I was like, well, you know, um, you've already established that his coat of arms has, like, the serpent on it. So, like, I get it. I get it, Ayn Rand. I don't need it. I don't need it, you know, beaten over my head anymore. I'm with it you. It doesn't need to be drawn on, on a cocktail napkin and crayon. We got it. No, and then... Of course, what's really funny is before I'd gotten very far in the book, because I had a really hard time with this book after like two chapters, like, anyway, I'd put it down and uh, Jen had texted me and she was like, oh my gosh, if the murderer is either Red Rexus or um, his sister, I'm going to lose it. And I was like, there's a murder? And <laughs> a couple chapters later, yes, there, 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 there was a murder. And the thing is, like, the murder was so, I didn't really know what to think of it until you know one thing i will say because my husband is he's really big into watching ncis reruns and if i've learned anything from ncis reruns it's that the killer is always the person that is the most willing to help <laughs> yes and when rad rexus was like over the top like i'm totally on your side let's see how this goes yeah, I was like, well, that's really convenient. That's really, really interesting. So I could see where Jen would think that maybe he is the killer. But I agree, like, if it turns out it is his sister, that she's really not dead, that would be the absolute worst. 
I, okay, so here, let me throw out two things that I think were just really big missed opportunities in this book. Was that one, it violates Chekhov's miss- missive. Because in the very beginning of the story, right, the, the father, Davos, is very erratic and he's clearly very upset. And they keep talking about this missive, right? This message that they've gotten from the astropathic choir. And that very mysterious, mm-hmm, he thinks that maybe his daughter is still alive. That's very interesting. So what I was thinking it was going to be, because we've seen this plot trotted out before, right? Where, yeah, okay, actually, she really is alive and she's pissed at their father, right? Or some dark version, like Pet cemetery style, a darker version of her has come back, right? Um, so that was a big thing. And if it's you recall, Evelyn Black. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but so you have this whole missive thing, right? The, what is this? What is this? What's on the other side of the rift? Oh, my God. And... As soon as Erastus takes over, he does go and ask the astropath, right? He's like, what is this? And the astropath, we got bigger, we got bigger problems to deal with, right? Betrayal. Okay, that's valid. Um, friggin' missive doesn't get mentioned again until the last chapter of the book. And I swear to God, it's because he must have just remembered. Oh, God, I never did anything with that. So then, ah, but we still have this missive. I don't, Wow. Okay, like, I feel like there was a lot you could have done with this message, this mysterious message that comes through on the other side of the rift, right? This could have even been Red Rexus. As you said, he's very eager to help, right? It didn't need to be gene stealers. You could have legit had Rad Rexus, like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I totally want to help you. I totally want to help you. Ooh, yeah, maybe there is something on the other side of the rift. Mm, it was Agatha all along. Sorry, it's because it's my turn to rule. I want this. He could have just done a straight Man, up. Man, that would have been a better, better story. <sighs> You're welcome. Because, like, I yes, I would have been disappointed regardless that Red Rexus was the murderer. Right. Because I actually really enjoyed his character. I would have been disappointed just because, like Jen said, it was advertised. And, you know, my God, I sent a picture of this to Jen and I was just like, what the hell? Like, I, here, I just turned right here. Act three, the serpent and its venom. Can we telegraph this any better, people? I mean... Right there, I was like, okay, so we haven't even, like, come to the conclusion yet of who the murderer is, but you've just telegraphed that it that Radrexus is up to no good. So, but why? And here's the thing about, like, with his arc in general. Um, if you're a gene stealer, um, taking over an entire Space Marine Legion... It's a pretty good gig. Um, But what better cover than a rogue traitor, right? Like, I don't know. I'm going to make a weird reference here. I don't know if anyone has seen Ocean's 13. There is a really fun scene in there where Matt Damon, it's been established that his father is a very good con artist as well. Um it gets revealed that his father has a very long running con as an FBI agent, right? It's if you're a con man and you have a con people, friends and family members, that's the perfect cover story, right? Of being an FBI agent um, for a gene stealer. Rogue traders basically get to go wherever the hell they want. You could just drop off on planets and little gene stealer cults all throughout the galaxy, Right? Give that guy 60, 70 years, you could have taken over an entire segment of shit 
he could probably very legitimately get him into the 500 worlds in that point because they have so much freedom, right? So I guess what I'm saying is that if you have the perfect cover story, why blow it now? Like, there was literally no reason for him to blow his cover and to come out and launch this great attack. So you took out three rogue trader families. Oh, okay. Like, and on the one hand, I would understand if it was for that, so he didn't have to share the profit. That makes right. total sense. Makes sense. But what do the gene stealers care about profit? Exactly. Again, it doesn't need to be a gene stealer if that's the case. I would have understood that too if he's like, sorry, I am just super greedy. <laughs> Might have actually okay. respected him a little more. But, <laughs> I mean, but really, Pirate the, code my- the, the Tyranids whole thing, it, it makes the entire story weak because... For him to pull this whole thing off. Because first of all, when they get called, you know, to, you know, come for the compact, they have no idea why they're being called. They have no idea. Maybe he just wanted a party. They have no idea if they're going to be sent on some mission or what. So he has no no clue that he could get them all to Endemica. None. Okay, so he's going to use the party to kill Davos anyway. Cool. Kind of makes sense. With the boy king on there so you can kind of manipulate him with this whole tyranid thing but again you don't know that they're going to have this plan that we need to find a, a route through uh through the rift and then you just happen to have a battalion right there at that one gap that they're supposed to investigate it's 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 like a young adult book for young adults who, yes. don't, who don't question why a, a plot is put together the way that it is. Well, and I think I felt I I know we reference um, uh, pitch meeting a lot in this podcast, but I really did hear like every time I would have a question, all I could hear was the pitch meeting guy going because we need the story to happen. Like, why did they stop off at that bastion? Why? Oh, right. So that you could prove that Astrid is in fact a badass and can take care of herself wholly and completely. Maybe her mother is losing losing her edge. Rad Rex is Oh, you're a talking about when they stopped off at, at Nuaton? Yes, Nua- New- I will never remember the name of this place. I apologize. Actually, that whole thing, I was baffled from start to finish why they were even there. I was baffled by it. Other than it establishes that Astrid's a badass. Her mom's losing her edge a little bit. And that Erastus was, in fact, worthy of his father's title. Because even though he doesn't have military prowess, he has brain power. Like, oh, okay, do we, like, I feel as though you could have established all of those things in a, in a different way. Like, th- there would have been other ways to have done that. that. And that, like, God, some of the combat in that dragged on like there were i mean there had to have been what three four chapters of just them um sieging this place mm-hmm. the combat alone again and then you get to the end and i'm like and for for what for you to basically pull off the wrath of khan <laughs> are the is the teleportation up yes it is yep. oh, okay like that, 
that was our grandmaster plan? I, I just, I found that whole piece. I know that we're kind of all over the board with our questions and kind of just theater of the minding here. Because honestly, when I was going sure. through my summary earlier and I was talking about, you know, how like a kid would be like, and then this happened, this happened, this happened. I totally forgot about Nuatun, Nuatun, whatever, the end place. I totally... <laughs> The Bastion place. I'm just going to call it that. Sure, the Bastion place. It's a fortri- fortress. A mod- I, I, well, and Nibikim was also a fortress. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that one yeah. place with the guy, the guy who sucked. Right. He was like paranoid and stuff. Yeah, yes, they commandeered which, all mean, of his all of his ships for 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 why? Like, it, maybe maybe I was missing something. I, I admit I did not reread that chapter when they got there. Maybe I should have to maybe follow along with it a little better, but I it, I don't know. I mean, I felt like I read those pretty well. And I was a little, I mean, I again, I understand the reasoning that they gave, but very similar to, as you're saying, with like young adult stories, right? occasionally with young adult stories because they want to they want to fill out the story and they want to have these kind of padding things right they'll be like oh well we're gonna go and do this thing why because oh okay well, but wait a minute no that doesn't make any sense again I, I, all i could think about was the pitch meeting right with the producer guy but if they're gonna go there then why would they even do that couldn't they just do that here because we need the movie to happen oh okay right um it it, it was a very it was an odd, it was a very odd piece. And when you put that section of the story into the greater framework of the whole Gene Stealer reveal, I, I have more questions, actually. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, like, was everything like, so I always tell the story so like with any like any comic book series any superhero series this is true i always tell it always starts the same first it's criminals then it's other superheroes uh, like super people superpowers then it's aliens and then it's alternate and it's time travel and or alternate dimensions it goes that same path every single time and i felt like this was mm-hmm. doing the same we had murder at home we have you know uh superpowered beings on the station, we have more betrayal, and then here's the aliens. All, you know, the next step right. is obviously going to be time travel. So, which, all right, we had it. Time travel or alternate dimensions, the epilogue. We'll get to the epilogue in a hot minute. We um, just went through, like, the stages of superhero comics right there. Pretty much, yeah. Um... God, I, I can't, I can't, I, I can't with the, we'll get to the epilogue in a minute. I just, I can't right now. I'm not, I'm not emotionally there. Um, here's the thing though. And this is one of the things that I got to the end of the book. And I was like, cause we always joke, what's our chronic joke on this podcast? Robbie Bobby's voicemail. Um, oh, there's a voicemail. How does this voicemail go when you send this to Reboot? So Bob, I know you asked us to find new routes through the rift and, um, we were going to, we had really good intentions, but then a bunch of political drama, genes dealers, you know, I had to figure out who killed my father. Now I got to trace down this message we got because it might be my dead sister. You know how it is, right? Right. Um, like, come on. 
when you consider, and that's one of the things that was very interesting to me about this book is that, I mean, on the back of the book, even it says, like the description says that Reboot Gulliman has charged these people with a task, right? He has given them an action item. He expects a deliverable. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and the big thing is that that starts this whole story. This whole story is arguably kicked off because Reboot Gulliman has asked for a thing. He has given you a mission and then it never gets mentioned again. It's the Primarch Reborn, as they kept saying over and over and over. This is like super important. This is like super important. Super serial right now. Again, had it all been that Rad Rexus was just a little greedy and just a little self-centered and wanted to be in power himself and he had orchestrated this huge betrayal so that he could claim credit for all of the bounty that they get for all of all of whatever. Like like all of like, I guess I was wondering, like, what profit are you getting? Is it because you guys are now in charge of what what the trade goes through there? Like, I don't really understand, but, you know, sure, whatever. Or Yeah, if you want to get your commission and you want to take all the glory when you go back to Reboot and you'd be like, oh, I know, it was so sad. The whole family was wiped out. And so were the Fenrisians. And so were, like, the ad mechanicus type of guys. Um, Like... If you like, you want to go back and do that? Like, I mean, you could do that, right? Because Reboot would be like, mm, shit does happen in the Rift, yo. It is Imperial Nihilus, Imperium Nihilus, right? Um, that would have worked and it would have been a stronger story, I think. Um, and it would have kept to Reboot Gulliman, keeping him plot relevant. He's basically the Kickstarter and then never gets mentioned again until, uh, like, and occasionally, well, so we have to do this thing for Reboot. Yeah, but you're not doing it. Right. Like, I don't, I don't understand that. Um, I mean, even Marvel at Marvel, some of its lower points, right? Even they keep with the original goal of the story. Um, why gene stealers? That's, I guess, I guess, I keep coming back to that. And here's, so here's the thing that I'm really struggling with. What is the story's overall place within the Warhammer 40k mythos? Like, what does it, what do we gain from this story? Nothing. Rogue traitors we didn't really know about. Rogue traitors don't exist. Change my mind. Um, rogue traitors that we didn't know or really care about are now dead. Killed. Um, Why are they even they're, called rogue traitors? I don't understand um, because they're not rogues. They kind of are. So it they're was merchants. The, uh, traders, yes. Um, basically, they're called rogue traders because they really don't answer to anyone. The emperor established them. All of the rogue traders have a like a a, um, a document that gives them like the a warrant. writ of authority. Yeah, that has a drop of the emperor's blood on it. He. That's basically to whom they answer. They are explorers forever. They are allowed to reap benefits, wealth, all of these that things. That doesn't fall. See, that's one problem I've always had with the rogue traders. So, because before, beyond like, you know, I have very little experience. So my first experience with rogue traders, which I'm sure is the same with everybody's first experience with rogue traders, and that is navigators for the, or pi- personal pilots for the Inquisition. So I honestly thought the reason why they were in their, their employ was because you... You know, because you're a rogue trader, therefore you are rogue. You have to help me do this or you go to jail or wherever else we do bad things because you're rogue. So then when I hear that it these are... pirate Yeah. 
This does not fall under my definition of rogue. So you actually happen to have all this authority. Oh, okay. That doesn't make you a rogue. So I've always kind of had a problem with that. And this story, this is a question that I've been ruminating on a lot of today. So yes, rogue traders don't exist. Well, it, it, like, okay, look, we've seen rogue traders. Okay, to be clear, I am being very, a little facetious with that. We have seen legit rogue traders. We know that Inquisitors blame them. No, I'm going with semantics here. Semantically, rogue traders do not exist. <laughs> Change my mind. Well, like, the number of rogue traders we see who are oh, just secretly Inquisitors, and now we have gene stealers. Like, hmm, great. Do these people even exist? This is a question that's really been bugging me, and I've been kind of pondering this all day. So, this book was very anticipated. Right? I mean, it sold out in like 10 minutes. Less than that. I didn't get a copy of it. And I'm like, you guys have seen the number of times that I get limited editions and stuff because I'm pretty Johnny on the spot. Didn't get it. This is literally the um, last copy that the set it all had. Which is wild to think yeah. about. Um, and I get it, right? The only real rogue trader series that we have currently running is the Blackstone Fortress series. And granted, some I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get somebody actualing me here because I haven't read them yet. Isn't I there an actual the, rogue traders trilogy? Um, probably. But the Blackstone Fortress ones are probably the most current ones. And that's not really rogue tradering in, the in like the traditional sense that arguably like any good haunted house story the blackstone fortress is really the main character of that in that the whole plot revolves around the blackstone fortress and the fact that this person is a rogue trader is kind of secondary to the fact that they are exploring a blackstone fortress okay cool great so i understand why people were very excited for this however on that level like you don't really see them very much right like with rites of passage it was super interesting because we never have seen a book where the navigators and the main characters are rogue traders, as a concept, are they compelling? No. I'm going to have to agree with you on that. And that, well, mainly because, again, I'm going to go harp on the semantics because that's always bothered me. Always, 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 always bothered me. Secondly, one thing I said when I first got this book and I was kind of like, I read like through the first chapter real quick. And I was like, oh my God, is this going to be another bored rich people book? Because I can't take any more bored rich people. And it kind of is. I uh, wouldn't even say it's kind of. It, it, it is whole cloth of bored rich people. And like, look, yeah, they've got different flavors. They're less, um, they're less pretentious and ostentatious than, say, the ones we saw in Rites of Passage. Um, you mean with like the totally like the onyx throne or the one the yeah, exactly. throne that was solid exactly. gold I'm like okay all the jewels that they wear all the time exactly this is not the kardashians right but it is i mean on one hand it's somewhat interesting that they are so free and that yeah we answer to ourselves pretty much uh we answer to the emperor and he really is not talking um will we will answer to his son um i guess that's kind of interesting but i think or the Inquisition, because we really don't have a choice, because it's the Inquisition. But even then, it's always kind of, uh, like, we're kind of on equal footing here. Like, hmm. um, But I think the what makes the Inquisition interesting is because they have so much power over the common people and the, the world 
at large. And because they generally have a goal and a plan and an investigation and a mission. The rogue traders are a little more free. Hmm. Like they're not there like we are here to hunt a heretic. We are here to hunt the Xenos. We are here to hunt this demon. Like we are here. We... I, I feel like because they're so amorphous, it actually ends up making them not very compelling. To me, mm-hmm. at least. I could see that. I kept wondering, I was like, why don't we see more stories with these guys? I don't, I don't, I, I think that's what I, I just don't know that they are necessarily very compelling protagonists. And these guys certainly, again, with all this family trauma and all of this, this pressure and this infighting and this, oh, well, we're all a compact. I don't really trust you. Um, and one of our own has been murdered most foul. I think to me, one of the things that jumped out for <laughs> how unimportant these people are um, is that like they, the guy, remember uh, the gene stealer kind of says, he's like, yeah, the Red Rexus dynasty basically died out a hundred years ago and we've been in their place ever since. Mm-hmm. And not a single person noticed. How does one pull off this feat? I don't know. That was the other thing. So I was like, okay. Um, that was the case. Last time I checked. Even like the three arm gene stealers don't talk very well. There's no way that Rad Rexus is some at least what they said hundreds years ago mm-hmm. some fourth generation gene stealer acting the way he does well if you recall i mean remember from that um from belisarius call the great work with the emperor's sides when you get further enough down and but i guess you are like those guys it was heavily implied that like we're we are watered down gene stealers. Mm-hmm. We just have a little bit of it in us, enough to make us so that we will obey the primarch or the um, patriarch. The patriarch, but we won't. We're not funky, right? Looking. Um, I Radrexus was question mark. I mean, was he like? Was he like? Oh yeah, the actual Radrexi, Radrexi, um, were wiped out and we took over and now I'm the product of that breeding right maybe I guess but I no know. I got the impression that you're right I don't but you touched on something before we started podcasting they referred to the void father oh it, it, it feels like this variety of gene stealer is just a little bit different because the only other person that we've heard referred to the void father is the Carcaridans. And let mm-hmm. me tell you who ain't worshiping the Nids. <laughs> that we know of. No. God, I would be so disappointed. Oh, that would be awful. Oh. No. No. Maybe we just nope. remembered it wrong. Maybe they didn't say. It's always meant to go look it up in one of my books and I never did. Dang it. Mine's on the other side of the room. Um, that could be right. Um, but it, it just like the, the terminology was a little different, right? And like when they talked about the star suns and honestly, I mean, I guess that was when I knew exactly what it was. As soon as they said star same. sun, I was like, okay, not the star child again. Not the sun. 
Um, and why won't you let Arthur C. Clarke just die? Sorry. <laughs> the love of hate. Um. Yeah, I. I got nothing on that other than I was so disappointed in Gene Steelers, and it's. It's been a bit. It's been a spell since we saw some Gene Steelers. Yeah, I think the only Still book that... Alright, so there's two books I can think of that we read with the Nids on this podcast that I thought was well done. One was the one that was actually about the Gene Steelers, so we couldn't get away from them. But I loved that book because I loved how it showed the when the Imperium sucks so hard, you'd rather be part of the Gene Stealer cult than serve them anymore. That's funny. And uh, two... When they popped up in um, um, oh my god, what's his name? Commissar, funny guy, help me here. Caiaphas came. Caiaphas came. When they popped up there, that was like the only two times in our book club that the nids have popped up and be like, I'll allow it. That's kind of funny. That was very funny, and I loved him in the Belisarius call book. Oh, when... okay, right, right, right. But that was but because... that was well done. It was very well done, and we weren't we weren't necessarily looking for that. No, like we're we're talking about an actual Catan being loosed, and then oh, by the way, there's also a patriarch on this planet. Whoops, <laughs> that's none of my business, though. <laughs> mm. I did like them in what was that book? Um, I can't think of the name of it now. It's one with the Dark Angels. No, it wasn't the Dark Angels. Wait, wasn't the Dark Angels? No, it wasn't the Dark Angels. It was the Imperial Fists. It was the one with the uh, the Imperial Fist, um, the Primaris Psyker, and they go to that one planet, and the, the planetary leadership is so excited that they're there to rescue him, and he's like, uh-uh. And the only reason I really liked that one was that I it really dealt with how the Gene Steeler cults work. After Remember after he kills the Patriarch and the... the um, the I can't think of her name right now, but the woman who kind of leads the cults. All of a sudden, she's like, "That's not what he looked like five minutes ago." Yeah, it is pumpkin. That's what you've been worshiping, giant bug. You know, it's so funny because you bring up that book actually, not often, but whenever you do, I'm just like, I don't remember a damn thing about that book. I still you say things <laughs> and like you know. I just, it just, one of those things, it's just gone from my head. I forgot that the Nids were in the uh, White Scars book that we read. Oh, yeah, they were. I'm actually going back through our books to see really quickly if I can remember. I can never remember the name of that book. It's by Andy Clark. Um, yeah, I know it was by Andy Clark. Mm. And it had the uh, librarian. The Imperium. Yeah. Wow, that's all, that's on the nose. Shut up. Um, <laughs> Nothing is you. It's black library. Uh, yeah, the, one of the questions was, do you think the goal of the cultists is to ascend? The goal of the cultists is to ascend to the star children. Do you think the nids would be half as successful without their psychic manipulation? Um, oh, star children. Again, why won't you just let Arthur C. Clarke die? <laughs> let the man rest. If you guys don't get um, that, read a book. 
Read Jesus Christ, Lana. Read a book. <laughs> um, ah! well, I deserve so, that. I just made a mess. <laughs> I mock people and then I make a mess. That's fair. Yep. Um, I keep holding my mug like really tightly because it's freezing here in Denver right now. Um, it is 18 degrees outside and I am unhappy. Um, so what happens next? I don't care. Okay, let me ask you this. Is this the next big series for Black Library? Oh, God, I hope not. If it is, like, it needs to be something else. Like, you know, so many things So many things would have made this, this book so much better. Um, maybe not having it be a mission from God be one of them. Um... You know, because if it yeah, was, you know what? If you pull reboots missive away, like if this, this was book just, becomes less offensive, yeah, because then then they're just rogue traders, rogue tradering. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And then, I mean, the Tyranids would have still annoyed me, but but then there's not this, you know, mission. I'd be much more interested in seeing like what they're going to do with this missive next. But the whole thing that they've been sent by Robbie Bobby just doesn't sit. It just uh, anyway. I'm with you on that completely, and I don't know why, because okay, I get it. You're rogue traders. You can do whatever the heck you want, and missions go awry often. But because, and when I first read it, when they were like, "Yeah, reboot needs to get like reliable pathways through the rift." Heck yeah, he does. That mm -hmm. is a that is a solid tangible goal that makes sense we remember from when we read um when we read uh spear of the emperor when we read right. devastation of all how basically reboot is like yeah you're on your own out there <laughs> sorry sucks yeah i mean if the you know god damn it if the story was about that them trying to find these ways through their and yes, they're like, they see ways of like, you know, usurping one another for power. I would have enjoyed the book. Had they stumbled across gene stealers on one of the planets they landed to or like within the route through the warp. Because look, here's the thing. The Tyranids have already been established as being over on Imperium Nihilus. Um, Ball says sup. <laughs> like... It, this has already been established. This is known. Um, so I'm not really sure. Again, this goes back to the whole thing about if you're a gene stealer and you're established as a rogue trader, you have the perfect cover. Right. Right. You just need to seed people places and then they can create the choir and call down the boys. And it's all going to be great. It's all going to be swell. And you just keep on doing what you're doing and you have just created beacons basically on every planet you visit. Right. Um, that was actually one of the very interesting concepts that Josh Reynolds, I think, was forced to abandon in the Fabulous Bill series, which was this idea that his new men, remember, he was populating, he was dropping mm -hmm. them on various planets and putting them into positions of power. Very interesting, very clever. Um, Rad Rexus could have been doing that. But no, he decides to talk about a Pyrrhic victory. I guess that's what makes this, again, more young adult. Serious? I just okay. Let's talk about the epilogue. Oh my god! Hmm. You go first because I can't. I don't see what the point of it was. 
I really don't either. And um, Bodil bringing Katla back to life. Um, for what? They're, for, for why? The ship's abandoned. There's no one there. They had to leave it behind because it can't go anywhere. So you brought her back to life just so y'all can starve to death or die of dehydration or lack of oxygen. I mean, take your pick. Um, wait for the and, gene stealers to get a hold of you. I mean, and she was dead and she was killed by. Yeah. Like by a nid, by a patriarch, I think. I would not trust that person at all. Even if I don't think that they put the, like the brainworm thing mm-hmm. in the head. Um, again, Caiaphas Cain. Um, even if I don't think that that happened, like, to, to exactly what you said, to what end? Are we going to have, like, are they going to basically turn her into, um, what's her name? Lady Stoneheart from The oh. Song of Ice and Fire. Ka- Catelyn Stark. Are they going to turn her into a Catelyn Stark character? Where she is in this weird, vindictive, vengeful, half-dead, half-alive state to wreak havoc upon the Void King, Rad Rexus? I don't know. And I'm not necessarily sure that I care. I think we're both in the same place there. Question is... Do we read the sequel? I don't know. Because there's probably going to be one. Yes. And my answer to that would probably be yes. Only because I have read some books over the years where the first book I was like, "Eh." but then the second book you're like, oh, they they found their footing, actually. <laughs> like, how many and or how many TV shows, how many TV shows have you ever, like, started to watch and people are like, okay, just bear with the first season. Mm-hmm. When you get to the second season, it gets really good. Okay, I'm generally not that person because, you know, when people are like, well, after the first 80 hours of the JRPG, it gets really good. Um, you know who you are. Um, Every JRPG player. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. No, no, no. After, like, the first hundred hours, the game starts and it gets really good. There's actually a reason um, why I used to have a column called The First 30 Hours. Because <laughs> I'd been a big thing that you can't judge JRP, JRPG. And I'm right on this, 100%. You can't judge it till after about 30 or 40 hours because that's when the tutorials end. Miss me. And this is one of the reasons I struggle with JRPGs, actually. Um, but I'd be willing to give a second book a chance. I I definitely would, um, because I like Mark Collins as an author and I know we've been kind of brutal on this podcast, but it's not that he's an untalented author. I just, I feel as though, and I, I've said this before about Guy Haley. I'm not sure the inspiration was there Mm -hmm. for this book. Um, I'm not, I, it doesn't feel there's so much what feels like padding and filler that I feel like the inspiration for it got lost or that maybe it would have made a really good novella. Right. I mean, we literally just read a Mark Collins novella. Um, so maybe, maybe that would have been better. I don't know. I would give it a second trance. I would not, I would go into it with a great amount of caution. Mm-hmm. 
I think you and I both went into this book like a little excited because it sold out and there was a lot of buzz for it. And Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll, I would give it a second chance too just because, well, I know I'm alone in this, but, you know, I hated the first Matrix movie and I still went and saw the second because I was like, surely the second will like, you know, make everything better. <laughs> was it the giant orgy underground that let you know that it wasn't going to be even as good as the first one that might have been or like was it the scene where maria bello very awkwardly is like i want you to kiss me like i'm her i've blanked out so much of the movie but really you guys the, i hated that movie so much the underground like rave at that point i remember turning to my husband and i was like i want to go home uh, similarly along that, when that happened, my husband and I both looked at each other and went, what the fuck? Not as good as the third movie where I belted out laughing at the end when he literally was crucified to save humanity. I, I didn't um, see the third movie. I was, I figured, okay, I figured, this is not a joke. I figured he I had, I'd hurt myself twice. <laughs> I'd hurt myself he, twice, so literally sacrifices himself to save mankind and the machines bring him up in full crucifixion position and I burst out laughing like could not catch my breath laughing in the theater and I'm really sorry to anybody who was sitting around <laughs> my husband was just sniggering under his breath wow <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> I'm still giggling thinking about it 30 years later 15 anyways yeah i um i don't know this one was a this was a hard one i and here's the thing that's funny about this so it has gene stealers in it surprise gene stealers uh which makes me both makes both of us a little like mm. um i'm very excitedly going into our next book knowing that it deals with one of our less favorite factions the tau in kosserkin kosserkin by um and this hey guess what i have a copy of a book that carrie doesn't well, carrie soon will have but does yeah. not have currently um by eduardo albert we really liked his carcaridans book i'm really excited to track down i really and i know i've said this before but i really like that black library is sinking so much time and effort into the astra militarum regiments yeah i am too i'm really excited for that uh, with Witchbringer coming up soon, too. That'll mm -hmm. probably be next year for us. But, yeah. I'm excited for Kostokan. I think that's it's going to be a fun one. Um, hopefully, no gene stealers pop up. And no. And they don't violate Chekhov's missive. You guys, I just want to know what the message said. God, what did the message say? We have to find out the next book. No! Sorry. Yes. Yes, you are correct. I will. I will. Watch it mean nothing at all. I will not react well. <laughs> Man, for you people like, like oh, people listening to this on the recipe. on the podcast, uh, I really <laughs> wish you guys could have seen Jen's face right there. Um. Yeah. I actually now I kind of do hope that they come through and they're like, oh, it's an old Terran recipe. Yeah, it's for Waldorf salad. 
Mm, yeah. Be so damn funny. Where would we find je- lime jello? Does anybody have lime jello? I think they make lime corpse starch. Does that count? <laughs> what the hell's a pecan and pineapple tidbits? <laughs> Watergate salad, not Waldorf Watergate. The other hotel. <laughs> Take us out, Carrie. Now I want Walt Watergate salad. Well, I think it was no Waldorf holiday salad. table is complete without lime jello and Cool Whip, you guys. I got some fucking country in me. See, and no. Every time I went to a Thanksgiving or whatever get together and I saw the, the lime jello with Cool Whip, I'm like, what is wrong with these people? Okay. The same people that always had the uh, uh, gelatin salads. No, just stop. That's nasty. What's wrong with you? Freaking mm. hicks. So many gelatin salads. Oh, I have to send you one that I recently saw. Uh, weird plug because we're going into the holidays. If you want a great rabbit hole to fall down, I highly recommend getting on Instagram and following cursed cookbooks like a cursed uh cursed cookbooks this woman is doing god's work she showcases recipes from like the 50s 60s and 70s um it involves a lot of gelatin and a lot of canned meat and it will make your thanksgiving week even better i'm gonna roll gelatin and spam guys no and devil boiled eggs and canned green beans not a joke or exaggeration Sad thing is, I think I've been to a Thanksgiving that had exactly that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Some of it was probably frozen for six months beforehand. I'm not kidding. Not kidding. Uh. So with that, so you've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Void King by Mark Collins. So be sure to join us next time for Kesterkin by Eduardo Albert. Remember that we are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crack. And remember, I'm still off Arius. Warming my hands on my mug. That's all I got. I'm too cold for anything else. And it's kind of a, got some chartreuse in it, so hey. Get you some Michigan Starbucks mug. Not Tim Hortons. Fight me. The Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.